You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Diana Pierce, and me, Dr. Phil Knight, here in the studio. We're talking about the self-sufficiency standard. And um, I've read this study. Um, Kate Squire's in the studio with us. She's my deputy director, and she's made sure that I've been briefed on it. She's unfolded and unpacked it for me, and I I feel really strong about um, the, the, the impact that this that the study is going to have in fact i think one of the call to actions for us is that we should this has been completed now for 39 states across the u.s and um i think at the very least that the self-sufficiency standard should work alongside the official poverty measure and that caseworkers use this to evaluate people's eligibility, determine eligibility of benefits. But what I'd really like to see is the official poverty measure, the 60-year-old measure be retired, and the self-sufficiency standard replace that. And I'd like for for you to give me your reaction to that. That's my call to action. (laughs) I think that would be great because it is a realistic measure of what people need, and the poverty measure is basically a measure of deprivation at this point, not not mm. of what people need to meet their basic needs at a very minimal uh, level. Now, there's a good reason why that doesn't happen. Um, as was discussed in a West Wing episode, which, as you remember, was a 90s television show that looked at what happened behind the scene in the White House. Uh, when it was brought up that the poverty measure, even then, was, was out of date. It's even more so now. Um, they said, do we want to be the administration that doubles the number of people who are poor? So it's basically political, because as long as we keep on denying that, then we have people, and there's many people in Michigan, too. Um, maybe at some point we'll, we'll do the actual numbers, but I can tell you there's many people in Michigan who are above the official poverty line, but are struggling to make ends meet and cannot meet the cost of their basic needs. And they are making, having to make terrible trade-off decisions about whether to pay for the heat or eat. Right. So I got to tell you, Dr. Pierce, that the, in my mind, the first responsibility of leadership, and that's every leader, whether they're elected, appointed, or hired, however they got there, the, the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And until <laughs> we define reality, we're not going to be able to solve the problem. We, we just can't ignore it and say, oh, there's only half the people here who really need our help, when we know that there's more than that and and we have to have that type of reality check and the, the first responsibility of reality is of, of leadership is to define reality and the federal poverty level only has one set of you know numbers for a family of a given size no matter where you live so it doesn't take into account it doesn't take into account the age of children like things like the cost of child care doesn't take into account where you live and cost of living changes not only by state but within state by community by county um, and that's why the standard is very specific about that and therefore it's very realistic and a really useful tool for people to be able to figure out what 
kind of jobs they need, what kind of training they need, uh, what where they can go with uh, uh, with themselves. Whereas with using the federal poverty level is inadequately low. That's why we keep using multiples of it for eligibility for right. different programs. Um, but it's also doesn't help us figure out what people need, what costs are too high, you know, or ones that people can't can't meet, where we need to help people. Or practically speaking, what trade-offs people are making because they can't meet those needs, and what are the consequences of those trade-offs? And part of the conversation we've had on this show is that whether we're willing to look at it or not, those consequences are happening. Kids aren't learning as well as they can or behaving as well as they should be in school. Parents that can't pay utility bills have to move. Because you can't live in a house with no heat in Michigan. It just isn't possible, right? So if you can't pay those bills, you have to move. What happens to your school-aged children when you have to move every winter because you can't afford your utilities? Now, I'm not saying it isn't the parent's responsibility. It is. But fundamentally, if the economy and the jobs available to that person and the supports they get from the government and the other help that most of these families are getting, formally and informally, still isn't enough. That trade-off is real. When you start trading off food against utilities or food against health care, we know that most prescriptions say take with food. So if you have any kind of a medical problem and you don't have the food to take with it, are you really going to make that trade-off? Well, that's the trade-offs people are making. So by denying it, by not looking at something like the self-sufficiency standard rather than the poverty measure, you're not giving yourself the tools to understand the consequences of your choices. Not as the person, but as the government, as the state, as the local government. People are making these choices now without the information and getting both the consequences they want and they don't want because they don't have this in front of them. All right. So the little little pause for thought there, um, because what you're talking about, Jerry, is the practical application of the standard to not only our work, but to all of our partners who work with us. Because to me, and, and again, Kate and I have talked about this a lot, I it will just drive me up a wall if the standard becomes another uh, uh, study that sits on somebody's shelf someplace. Man, this is a tool. This is a tool that people ought to be using to help people bridge the gap and get the services they need in their life so that they can leverage themselves to self-sufficiency. And I, that's my goal here. That's why we're going all over the state to announce and share this, the study, the self-sufficiency standard. The other thing, too, that, that strikes me in your conversation is this. When we first started Food for Thought, Dr. Pierce, we said we're not going to defend what doesn't work. <laughs> right. Now, now, now to, be, to be candid, that gets us in a little bit of trouble around here. <laughs> One <laughs> of several things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you're supposed to have the mind of a scholar to lead, the heart of a shepherd, but you better have the height of a rhinoceros, and right, I got indeed. one out of the three. So, <laughs> so, so, but the, it, it, we can't defend what doesn't work, and what doesn't work is the official poverty measure. It doesn't work. So we got to look for leaders who are willing to define reality, who are willing to step up and say, okay, I don't just see the problem, but I also have a solution, and the solution to the official poverty measure is the self-sufficiency standard created 
by Dr. Diana Pierce, who's sitting right here with us. Now I'll get out of this microphone and let you react. Um, well, it's true. It, it, is a, it is a very useful tool. In fact, it'll be online. You'll be able to look up your standard online um, after tomorrow. Um, that will be up. And people can use it not only for themselves, but use it with uh, clients. You can um, use it to help make plans, figure out where you can go. Mm-hmm. And people can also use it to evaluate programs, looking at uh, how is this program working? Is it helping people actually become self-sufficient? Or is it simply pushing people out into jobs that aren't going to work and they're going to continue to struggle? Or in terms of economic development, are we bringing in jobs into the state that are going to provide self-sufficient wages? Or are we going to have to subsidize them through the back end as well to get them to give people child care, uh, help with food, et cetera, in order for them to make even that minimum uh, level of, uh, of resources? Uh, funders can use this to look at the, the programs they're funding. Are these programs actually helping achieve that goal um, of self-sufficiency. So you have a good metric that can be used in a very detailed way, varies by family size and where uh, where you live. So we're not applying a one-size-fits-all. It's not a cookie cutter um, in that sense, um, but you know, varies enough. We do have over 700 family types uh, for each county uh, in, uh, in the state. Wow. So that's a lot of great practical uses that uh, I hadn't really thought all the way through yet, but I I really like that list. <laughs> I, I hope somebody wrote that list down. So, well, it's actually in the report. <laughs> yeah, good. It's recorded too, so we'll we'll get that. So look, we got a couple of just about a minute left in this segment. Um, let me give you the last word here about the self sufficiency standard for Michigan. What is the one thing you want people to take away? I want people to take away that. It takes a certain amount of money, depending upon your family size and where you live, to meet your, ba- your, your basic needs, and that people are struggling to do so. And it's not that they're not working, it's that their wages are not high enough, and they aren't getting the kind of assistance that levels the playing field. I think particularly important is for families with children under school age um, to have that help with child care, um, because... They're young families. They're at the beginning of their work careers. They're at least able to meet that expense. Mm. And it costs us triple. It costs us because kids aren't getting adequate preparation for school. The parents aren't getting a dependable source so that they can they can work. And employers don't have dependable em- employees if you don't have good uh, right. uh, child care. So that's one of, those, one of those things. But you can draw many conclusions, and it depends upon where you are in the state and Um, where you are policy-wise. Excellent. She's Dr. Diana Pierce. She's from the University of Washington. She also is the director for the Center for Women's Welfare and the author of the Self-Sufficiency Standard that will be released across Michigan in the coming weeks here in the first part of September. Dr. Pierce, thank you for being back in Michigan. Thank you for being back in Detroit. And thank you for being on Food for Thought here on WJR. Thank you. Great to have great to have you listening with us and we'll be right back. Jerry and I will be here to recap the self-sufficiency standard in just a moment.